to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you've joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Sarah, it's nice to be in person with you and see your wonderful face. Do you have any food news for us or anything exciting you want to share? Well, I'm going to repeat uh, repeat myself for the millionth time, but I want to make sure everybody remembers about the regional food business centers. There's 12 across the U.S. with the mission to connect underserved food folks with their technical assistance and funding to help them take their food businesses to the next level. Also... Many of you might be excited to know that on December 7th, the Food Innovation Center is hosting a holiday bazaar featuring startup food entrepreneurs, and we are sold out. Like we have have 38 food companies that are going to be here for bites and buys. And so make sure to go sign up on Eventbrite to let us know you're coming or just show up. It's from 4 to 7.30 p.m. at 1207 Northwest NATO Parkway in Portland. Great. Well, I'm going to be there and I'll have a booth too with a lot of our other food friends from Mm -hmm. here in town and people that have been on the show. And we're going to have music. Oh, I love it. He's going to be here playing his guitar. I love it. That's so fun. It's going to be a good time. Yep. Yeah, I don't really have any food news today. I was just going to encourage people as we're moving into the holiday season just to support local businesses and small businesses whenever you can. There are all kinds of really great food events going on. So just remember all of your wonderful business people. And I think it's nice to sometimes just go back and look at all of our shows. Like if you can't remember who you wanted to buy from, just look at our list on um, Spotify or iTunes and There's links to all their websites, so you can go purchase from them directly. That's my plug for all of our wonderful guests. That's very good, Sarah. (laughs) And we want to thank our sponsor for supporting Missoni and Marshall. Thank you for helping us to spread the word about women entrepreneurs. Let's hear a word from our sponsor, Market of Choice. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local food entrepreneurs. So much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made, raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores. Our passion is to help local makers, farmers, ranchers, and fisher folk realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you, Market of Choice. We love you. 
Thanks, Market of Choice. Well, we have um, been connecting with some of our past guests and just figuring out what's going on with them these days. So I would like to introduce you to Hannah. She is a kombucha brewing expert and author and the founder of Kombucha Camp. Welcome, Hannah. Hey, thanks for having me back, Sarah and Sarah. We're so glad to have you back. We want to tell people that if they didn't hear Hannah's first show, it was episode 84 back in 2021. All the way back then. All the way back then. And and Hannah, I haven't talked to you since then. So I'm excited to catch up and hear about your biz. And first, let's connect people to you on the gram and um, online. So tell people how they can find you. Kombucha camp, camp with a K because we're cute and clever over here. You saw those Ks dropping, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys can find Hannah at Kombucha Camp with a K. So Hannah, tell us, since we last chatted, what's new? What's going on? What's changed? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, kombucha continues to be validated in the scientific community. So I am really excited by that because, okay, so let's break it down. Not only do we have thousands of years, maybe hundreds of years of people talking about how great kombucha is, calling it the tea of long life, the tea of immortality, the the gout jellyfish is one of the terms in German, get kavala. I just like the way that sounds, rolls off the tongue. Uh, So again, kombucha has been recognized as a healing beverage for all this time. Then we have the rat studies and the in vitro studies validating, yes, it's hepatoprotective. So protecting the liver, protecting the kidneys, helps with detoxification in the body, helps boost metabolism and support all these great aspects of just being alive. So now to then have some human trials to back all of that up is just doubly exciting, triply (laughs) quadruply exciting uh, because it means that what longtime drinkers and consumers of kombucha have always known and experienced is that yes, when you consume living beverages in a living form, they have a benefit for living bodies. And so the research I'm specifically referring to is coming out of Georgetown University. And so uh, a couple of years ago, Uh, Robert Hutkins over at uh, University of Nebraska in Lincoln reached out to me and said, hey, there's some great folks over at Georgetown who want to do a study on kombucha. Do you know any commercial producers who might be able to provide not just kombucha, but also a placebo product for this study? And I happen to know someone, Craft Kombucha, Tanya, and she created a very special beverage that tasted almost identical to her kombucha so that they could do a washout study. So basically for um, for four weeks, they consumed one of the beverages. There were four weeks off. And then for another four weeks, they consumed the other beverage and they didn't know which beverage they were consuming when. So completely blind. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a small human trial. There are about 12 total participants. And yet the results were really dynamic enough that they are seeking greater funding They're like, hey, you got another three to five million dollars just hanging around. I'm like, I wish. (laughs) But long story short, these studies are not inexpensive. That's why when people are like, how come there's no studies? It's like, well, they're they're a bit pricey. Um, But the result was folks who have type two diabetes, when they're drinking kombucha on a consistent basis, four weeks, every day for four weeks, their fasting glucose rates are lower. 
So what this is showing us is that the gluconic, glucuronic acid, the components of kombucha are supporting a healthy liver, which means they're able to metabolize sugar better. There was also a study done, um, uh, uh, I want to say in 22, maybe, or 21, it was published that showed consuming kombucha with a starchy meal also helped to prevent a spike in insulin from occurring. So what we're seeing basically is that when we're adding kombucha into our diet on a regular basis, especially when we're consuming starchier foods, that it can have a net positive in terms of keeping your glucose levels stable so that you aren't experiencing those same kind of spikes or insulin ups and downs that you might typically have if you weren't consuming kombucha. Okay, wait a minute. Some kombuchas are sweetened. Are some kombuchas not sweetened? Okay, I love this question because this is really a labeling issue with the FDA. Mm. Okay. Um, So what happens is because we use sugar as the primary substrate in our fermentation process, so what that means is we're making tea, we're making sugar. For anyone who doesn't know, kombucha is fermented tea. We use a starter culture called it a SCOBY, which stands for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. It's kind of like a pancake, used to be called a mushroom. It is not a mushroom, (laughs) but it looks kind of like a mushroom cap. So we would plop this mushroom cap looking thing into our sweet tea and that ferments and it grows a new culture and it turns it into kombucha. But because sugar is required in that primary fermentation stage, the FDA says you must label the sugars remaining post-fermentation as added sugars. Okay. So what percentage of sugar is left typically? Well, that's going to depend brewer to brewer, flavor preference. You know, Americans don't tend to love to drink vinegar on a regular basis. (laughs) And so we do see that there is definitely going to be some residual sugar. But keep in mind, and this is what, you know, my argument to the FDA would be is like, that's fine if there's never any change in the sugar from when you add it in the first place. Hmm. However, due to fermentation, there is a metabolic change that occurs with the sugar. The organisms consume it and they break it. They break it from that disaccharide where we have two molecules held together with a bond. They break that into monosaccharide components, which automatically means it has a lower glycemic impact on the body to begin with. So it's not the Hmm. same as like, okay, the sugar grams and juice equals the sugar grams in kombucha, equals the sugar grams in soda. None of those are equivalent, and yet they're all called sugar. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how how big a label you'd need in order to explain <laughs> all of these intricacies, but I do love this question, Sarah, because, uh, because I think it is important for people to understand that when you say, I want the kombucha with no added sugar, you're, you're not, it's difficult to understand the nuance of what that label is actually communicating. Yeah. Well, Hannah, one of the things that I love about having you on the show and talking to you about kombucha, because we've had lots of kombucha conversations, is just what an advocate you are for kombucha in general. Um, So you always are supporting kombucha makers, other um, kombucha companies. You're really an expert about the kombucha world in general, which makes it so fun to talk to you. Um, if you have any advice for people that are just like wondering about getting into kombucha brewing, because you have all these great ways to teach people that, what would you say that they should do? Well, what happened to me is my thirst outgrew my budget. So if you don't even know what kombucha <laughs> is, go find one, go buy mm-hmm. one. And mm-hmm. the reality is, is what I like to say, there's a kombucha for everybody, which means if you taste a kombucha and you're like, 
mm, maybe not for me. Try a different flavor. Try a different brand. Find your mm-hmm. local producer. Go to your farmer's market. Mm-hmm. Who's there slinging the fresh booch? Mm-hmm. Uh, is all kombucha it. fizzy or is there some that's not fizzy? <clears throat> Great question. So what we actually have is effervescence. Um, So when we have traditional fermentation pathways, we aren't creating carbonation per se, but rather effervescence. I guess they're similar in that it's CO2, but we're not adding it. We're not adding carbonic acid. We're not forced carbonating. Now, when Mm -hmm. you get into a commercial process, of course, your consumer trained by McDonald's is like, I want that consistent experience time after time after time. And that has required then that producers do force carbonate to yield that, um, that consistent you know, bubble that the consumer is yeah. looking for. Now, some brands will say naturally effervescent, it may vary, but there's a lot more education you have to do for a consumer if you're going to be that more natural profile. Now, when you're making it at home, you're witnessing the process, you're going through the experience. And so you start to understand, oh, some batches are fizzy and some batches aren't. And of course, we've got loads of tips at kombuchacamp.com or in the big book of kombucha for how you can increase the fizz in your final product. Do you have to ask another question about kombucha? Does it have alcohol in it? Yes, because all ferments have alcohol in them. Even fresh fruit, when it starts to ripen and get overripe, does contain alcohol. And so Mm. this is another one of these subjects that I love because the nuance just is so hard to communicate. And yet, and yet, when we think about the grand history of human beings through all of time, our ancestors, uh, collected fruits, they might collect herbs, they might collect flowers that all contain yeast on them. And we would ferment them with sugar, various Mm. sugar substrates and create these delightful healing, you know, low alcohol, yet alcohol containing beverages that maybe were not intoxicating, depending on how they were made, and created a medicinal effect. And so my theory, which of course is, I don't even know how we'd ever prove this, is that alcohol is something that human beings crave and desire. And so when we get it in this traditional form with these organic acids, with the B vitamins from an unpasteurized, unfiltered yeast, with the nutrients naturally present from the tea or whatever you know substrate we're fermenting, you get the alcohol you're seeking without then thirsting for a pasteurized beer, a distilled spirit. So I personally think that when we remove the living aspect from alcohol, it turns into a controlled substance. Mm -hmm. And that's more challenging because what your body's really craving instinctively is all the nutrients that come with that unfiltered, unpasteurized, unsulfited product. And so, and that's, that's where the like, same with the soda, right? It looks like a fermented drink. It has acid and sugar like a fermented drink, and yet there's no nutritional payoff. And so it's this kind of uh, hardwire bait and switch, if you will. Hmm. Here's the phenomenon I've experienced personally, and many people have shared with me. And of course, your own experience will be that. That's why we say trust your gut, um, is that (laughs) the more kombucha you drink, the less alcohol you crave. It starts to replace a desire for alcohol because I think, this is my theory again, from drinking kombucha for 20 plus years, uh, that you're getting it in these natural forms that are really supportive to your organism as opposed to deleterious. And um, Hannah, you mentioned your book. I just want to make sure that um, that people know what it's called and how to find it. So um, just tell people the name of your book and the best way to get it. 
the big book of kombucha. It's pretty straightforward for a 400 page tome that is lovingly (laughs) referred to as the Bible of kombucha. I'm Mm -hmm. super proud to say we're at 375,000 copies sold worldwide. It's in six languages. And I I couldn't be more grateful that uh, more and more people are learning about kombucha. So you can, of course, find it at Kombucha Camp along with signed copies. If if you're a fan and want to get a little uh, Hannah signature on there, I'd be happy to do that. And of course, you'll find it least expensively on Amazon or use book site because they can buy in greater quantity than I can. (laughs) That's a lot of books, 375,000. Yes. Whoa. Congratulations. Thank you. She sold that many cookbooks, Sarah Marshall. Uh, Yes. Yes, Why don't you do a collaboration and put a note in the back of your kombucha book saying, hey, don't forget Sarah Marshall. Of course. Hannah, you wrote this book that is so well loved. And it is is like this great reference material. And people Mm -hmm. talk about it all the time and they go to it. And I know that when you, it's like when you have a child too, or when you started business, then people are always like, what's next? When are you going to write another book? When are you going to do a new thing? And I don't want to do that to you, but I'm kind of going to do it to you because I just think that your book is so wonderful. Have you thought about writing another book on another subject or on kombucha itself? I mean, wait. Most of the great books in food science have second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth. There's a seventh edition of this really good book on ice cream right now. So maybe that would be good. We'll definitely have thought of doing a 10-year anniversary edition. Um, What we would include in there is information on Jun or June or Jun, tomato, tomato, um, which is kombucha's raw honey cousin and or precursor. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Um, which is a green tea raw honey ferment uh, that we absolutely love. We'd probably include, you know, more information on the different styles of kombucha you can make. We have a little bit on herbal and coffee and things like that, but we've seen so much innovation in the category over the years. I'm super proud that many hard kombucha companies have started with our recipe and uh, grateful they've refined it over the years because I think uh, there's a lot of great ways to do that. And of course, just update with some of the more recent uh, innovations in terms of the science and um, and looking at, you know, how the industry has grown since the book came out in 2016 and we founded the Trade Association in 2014. So um, coming up on 10 years for Kombucha Brewers International, we've done so many it's milestones uh, through mm-hmm. the trade association from our lobbying effort to um, really all we do, which is what I do the best at, educate, 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 just help regulators understand what it is, give them the science they need to feel confident and safe that this is a known <laughs> and safe product to to produce commercially and, and share with people. And, you know, so yes, are there other books? Definitely, there's other books in my brain and hopper. Um, uh, one of the the things we have developed since then is our Big Book of Kombucha Fundamentals course. So let's mm. say you love to read the book, but maybe you're more of a visual learner or more of an aural learner with your ears, mm. um, then that's a really great course you can take that walks you through the entire process from start to finish. Hannah, tell us, maybe you told us in the last time we talked to you in 2021, but tell us, what did you do before you stumbled on kombucha? Oh my gosh. Well, I thought I was going to be a famous actress. (laughs) (laughs) 
At least that's what I thought in eighth grade when I was called a star is born. You know, you get your little uh, little quip there. So I think really what it is, is I, I had to learn to speak my own words. And mm-hmm. um, I love doing podcasts and I have my own show on Instagram. And I love just, edu- again, educating and, and sharing my passion with other people. And I think that the stage is somewhere I really flourish, just maybe not in the role of head of gobbler. <laughs> so, well, I think what you do, though, is not that different from what you thought you were going to do. I mean, you know, when you're going and you're teaching classes and you're talking to people and you're getting up in front of people talking about kombucha, that's not too much different than being an actress. I mean, it's just your own story you're telling instead of something somebody else wrote. Maybe if Hannah you- should do a TED Talk on kombucha. I think that's a great idea. Can I even be contained by 15 minutes? Just kidding. (laughs) Do it, do it, do it. Yes. Well, and I mean, like it doesn't even stop with the consumption of it. We're seeing that, you know, so um, acetic acid helps to break down glyphosate. And we know that's on so many of our crops, even in in places where we don't want it to be because it'll drift or, or different things. And so consuming kombucha is something that can help with that. It can, it has also been shown to remove toxins from groundwater. When that train derailed, I was like, send the kombucha, mm. <laughs> remediate the ground. And, and someone from New Zealand just said to me, hey, maybe you don't know this because they listed out a bunch of things. I was like, yes, I know that. Yes, I know that. Um, was that they're putting it into the dairy effluviant ponds, right? So there's all this, for lack of a better term, cow poo that you end up with in a dairy farm. And it yeah. goes into these holding ponds. And when mm-hmm. they're putting the kombucha scobies in there, it's reducing the E. coli, breaking it down faster. And I mean, basically like kombucha is this amazing digester and remover of toxins. And so if we apply that with our imagination to a wide variety of of applications, there's so there's kind of an infinite number of uses, not to mention they sent it to space with NASA and found that it, you know, most of it survived that type of radiation with minimal damage. So it could even be used to grow kombucha on Mars someday. But nobody's gonna drink stuff from the cow ponds, right? Well, no, I would recommend. I would not advise consuming that. But <laughs> please don't do that. Please don't drink that. <laughs> cow pond kombucha coming to store near you. <laughs> Sorry, I can go down another rabbit hole, but I won't. We'll, we'll leave it there. <laughs> uh... Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want you to talk about your favorite thing to ferment. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Oh, we're back from that giggle. Can you tell us what (laughs) some of your other favorite things to ferment are, Hannah? Flowers. Like, I love elderflower. I love roses. Mm. I love... And like, right, just even smelling them or Mm -hmm. seeing them, the heady perfume. And so, again, when we're fermenting any of these that we might collect from our garden herbs, also thyme, this is, you know, sort of the inspirations for my recipes. But again, uh, well, actually, a really great book that inspired me a lot was um, Buner's Sacred 
herbal beers. Mm. I think I said that right. Sacred herbal and healing beer, something like this, where he was looking at all these sort of traditional types of herbs and whatnot that would be fermented and turned into um, beverages that you could consume. So many of these don't have a starter per se, but are using the yeast that comes right off of um, the plants themselves in order to create that fermentation. But even before kombucha, elderflower liqueur has been one of my absolute favorites. It's just like, it's like drinking summer. I feel romantic. I'm in Paris no matter where I am when I'm enjoying that. And it just is so, so I don't know. I'm really, I love the flowers. I've had your elderflower kombucha. I think, I think it was elderflower and thyme. I want to say you had mm. made it when we were at an event together to pass out to people. And it was so good. It was like the best kombucha I've had. So I, I'm glad that you brought it up because it sparked my memory of when I had yours. <laughs> and then I'm a pickle fanatic. Mm. You know, oh. so give me a crunchy, like I'm, my mouth is watering just talking about it. So that then also parlays into a kraut that also has that sort of dill, cucumber, juniper berry, garlic, you know, all of like all of that yumminess is so good. With mm-hmm. a high quality salt, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you say high quality salt, what do you mean? So I'm typically referring to like a Celtic sea salt. Um, I know there's some red salt, pink Himalayan salt, but I really like the sea salt for the fermentation because I feel like that's, I don't know, am I crazy? Is that that's like a really traditional salt. And I imagine, right, even the word salary, getting paid, you were paid in salt because it was mm-hmm. so precious and so valuable. And I just imagine... Mm-hmm laying out the sea salt and raking it up. I don't know. That just feels really in a, with my Celtic ancestry. That feels really oh. in alignment to me. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, you know, when people start to ferment, I think it, it sparks this thing where like the first time they do it, it feels a little scary and weird and, you know, they're, you know, like anything, anything new, but then once people get into it, they get, into it i feel like and then they're like they want to ferment everything you know they want things yeah Yeah. i think i think kombucha is kind of a good like sort of gateway into fermenting but then i think once you do it i think then you'll start doing a lot of other things and it's good to know that you have um classes online because i feel like people um you know, some people need a hand holding, just like with canning for me, they usually come to me for that. But I think, um, you know, for the, uh, people asking me about fermenting all the time, and I recommend your book, but I didn't realize that you had classes online. So now I'm going to send them your way. Yeah, That's absolutely. Cool. And then they're also at the fermentation school. So those are the two places I, do, I host my classes is, of course, Kabucha Camp. And I don't know if you've if you've seen their, their work, but just the Kirsten Shockey and Meredith Lee teamed up and they put this together. It's all female creators from all over the world and Mm. fermenting all kinds of different things. So it's a really great resource if you're wanting to learn how to ferment something. My most recent class is elderberry syrup. So here Mm. we're not really fermenting, we're more preserving, but I just, again, I love the smell is so did I mention I like elderflowers and elderberries? I think I like the elder tree is what it is. Can and I ask all... a question yes. about sanitation when somebody's going to ferment something? Because I know if you don't clean your fruits and vegetables, you can get some crazy bacteria growing that you don't want. Can you just run us through a quick procedure if somebody wants to like make some sauerkraut or try fermenting something they might have at home after listening to this, what could they do to ferment something real quick? 
Well, I think your hot water is probably a really good start. Hot water and soap, really basic stuff, because we don't want to get rid of all of the bacteria and yeast. We don't want like sanitized veggies or fruits to start from. And then, it, you know, the salt is really what's going to do the action of sanitation. It's going to create that pH. It's going to create that um, environment, right? Think about the salt is going to cut through the bonds of those um, pathogens. Here's the way I like to think about it. Pathogens by their nature are weak. They have to be, or we'd all already be dead. <laughs> and so uh, the acid the, the acid content in kombucha, the, the salinity, when you get that right percentage, all of those things are going to naturally just quickly kill those types of things because they're not able to sustain um, in that type of environment, which is why our ancestors created those environments to begin with, whether they understood the the science, the scientific method behind it or not, there was an instinct that yes, when I when I create this environment, I don't see um, the negative effects as when I don't do that. So soap and water, just make sure your container's clean. Yeah, absolutely. Clean container. I mean, here's the thing about kombucha, and I know this isn't like the the kosher thing to say, is like. There are so many studies validating that it kills things like E. coli, salmonella, listeria, if not on contact within a day or two, that really you could just rinse it with kombucha. Yeah. Um, Acetic acid is the strongest organic acid. So, And it's weak in kombucha or we'd just be drinking vinegar, right? Vinegar tends to be defined around 4% to 8% acetic acid, at least here in the United States. And kombucha is maybe half a percent, 1%. So it is definitely milder. And that's why, you know, running it through the dishwasher is always a good idea or using a good uh, soap and water, just making sure you're rinsing really clean because otherwise you'll end up with soapy flavored kombucha, which nobody enjoys. Um, But it is in and of itself a very um, protected environment. Why do you think people are so afraid of it? It looks weird (laughs) (laughs) and they're not familiar. Like when you're like me, I'm like, oh my gosh, your scobies are so cute. Look at all the dangly yeast globs. And, you know, we're just, we're not used to it because it hasn't been taught to us by a parent or a grandparent. Mm -hmm. And so when we break that chain of trust, right, learning from a trusted source, then we get really confused. And that's where Kabucha Camp is happy to be your trusted source We've been doing this a long time. As you can hear, I love to read all the research studies. And so a lot of even like, why is, why do we ferment at 75 to 85 degrees? Well, our yeast, Britannomyces bruxellensis, love that temperature zone. So it's not, we're just making something up. It's literally because we're understanding what it is we're working with. I think we have a lot of, um, you know, Sarah and I have a lot of local chef friends that they want to ferment things in there kitchens and the health department oftentimes doesn't like it. They don't want them to, they don't want to approve it. I've sent quite a few people to Sarah to say, Hey, is there some way that, you know, we can make the health department happy so that we're able to ferment and serve people all of this great food. But there's kind of a barrier there with, with fermenting and with canning and preserving the health department doesn't Uh want people to do it. Do you think that will change? I do, because I think as more and more people adopt it, as more people understand it, it becomes less scary and weird. And it was just for whatever reason, there's been a period of time when processed foods were on the rise 
And there's a ton of sanitation you have to use with processed foods because they lack the natural defense mechanisms that we find in fermentation. And again, why we've only had a fridge for what, 150 years, 175 years. It feels like forever, right? Because I'm not that old. Um, and yet that wasn't how people preserve their food. And so we, we've become... Um, We've just lost the information and the knowledge base, but the reality is it is very safe. And that's, again, a ton of what we do at KBI Mm -hmm. is just talking to regulators, helping them understand, you know, it's easier for them to say no than yes. They have public safety in mind. They don't want, you know, for them to say yes, and lots of people get hurt and that falls on their responsibility or their shoulders. And so it's easy to default to no. And it's not really their job per se to understand every process. And that's where we've seen with FISMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act, at least from commercial production side, everyone has to have a HACCP plan. You have to have a recall plan. And even though the vast majority of people who get sick is from very large food companies and not small companies, even the tiniest little company has to have all of this information in place. That said, it's still smart to know your ingredients, where they're coming from, where everything's going, and be able to track that stuff. So while it's a little bit more uh, paperwork and, and oversight, it does create, you know, at least you're very well informed about your product and process as you're giving it out to the public. Yeah. I um, noticed on your link tree from your Instagram that you have a fermented holiday gift um, list or holiday recipes. Can you tell people about that as we're approaching the holidays, what kind of fun things they can get into? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's fermenting all the things. So there's a sourdough recipe. If you want to create your own uh, sourdough rolls, there's a fermented chutneys and sauces in there, which is fantastic garnish and digestive aid for all of that rich food you're going to have at the holidays. And of course, some cocktail recipes, because as I like to say, kombucha is your antidote that helps you break down the poison. Um, <laughs> or of course you could leave the poison out altogether, but Hey, it's the holidays. If you're going to splurge and indulge, at least have some kombucha in there to help you sober up quickly um, and not end up in the punch bowl at the end. <laughs> so everybody can check that out. The link is um, on the kombucha camp um, link tree for that. Yeah. Hey, just from a food safety standpoint, I wanted to mention that Located here at the Food Innovation Center, we have the Western Regional Center to enhance food safety. And it's one of four U.S. regional centers um, that was created to help coordinate the FISMA regulations. So we have a website. If you go to the FIC website, you can find the um, Western Regional Food Safety website and you can sign up for classes. That's they great. They do up and all sorts of stuff. And if anyone wants their handheld, I'm happy to. I, I also offer consultation. So I do consult with a lot of different uh, fermented foods brands, not just kombucha, but uh, happy to help even have HACCP plan. Super easy. Help you help you set it up. It's not easy to set up on your own when you're just trying to read through <laughs> it conceptually. But uh, we, we've simplified the process to make it easy. But of course, free resources are always going to be the first place to look. Yeah. Perfect. Can you tell us about... Um, the bubbles with benefits that you offer. Yes, it's our it's our first ever rewards program. And so I don't think any other uh, fermentation business out there is offering it, but we know how much we love rewards programs. Um, 
I'm I'm a fan too, sometimes on my little app, making sure that, oh, I got to collect my rewards for this. My local <laughs> co-op, I get rewards. So um, we thought it would be great to incentivize folks because while you may not buy a SCOBY every month, you certainly need tea and sugar and other supplies. And maybe you want to branch out into water kefir, or milk kefir. And so having the rewards program just allows people uh, to get points back on their purchases and save uh, at, over time. Um, we appreciate customer loyalty. We know that at Kombucha Camp, we're not the least expensive, but that's because we really have an eye towards quality. We've always been organic ingredients. We recently got certified, which is its own process and expense, uh, but we feel really passionate about it because we want everybody to know that we care about where the products are coming from so that you feel really confident in purchasing them as well. I have a question. Yeah. Can you eat the SCOBY? Yes. And, and. <laughs> you, might, you might not want it to be your primary source of nutrition um, because it is like psyllium husk. So, so that's an chewy. insoluble fiber. Okay. But it cleans out excess hormones, excess sugars on its way out. So it's going to be great for anyone who would be benefited by consuming a little psyllium husk. And here's the best way to eat it, in my opinion. Well, candied, of course, is going to be that teaspoon of sugar helps your digestive medicine go down. Uh, but the fruit, the fruit, the SCOBY fruit roll-ups are so fun. So you blend it with fruit and then you dehydrate it? thousand percent, except you want to use a blender, not a food processor, because the food processor makes it stringy, not. So, so you get like this applesauce. Some people just blend it up and eat it like that, like applesauce, put a little cinnamon on it. It already has this lovely malic tangy flavor, malic being that apple flavor that comes from the black tea. Mm -hmm. and yeah. And you can feed it to dogs and cats and pigs and cows and chickens and it's great on the farm you can ferment is it a byproduct it. of the fermentation right so what do you do like if you're making gallons and gallons and gallons of kombucha what do you do with all the scoby i love this question here's what i'm first gonna say is um it's the immune system right so people are like oh cut out your appendix it doesn't have any use oh who needs these tonsils oh wait Turns out, actually, there's value to them. A lot of people be like, oh, you just throw the SCOBY away. The SCOBY isn't even the pellicle anymore. It's the liquid. And I'm like, historically, that's inaccurate. That term was invented to describe the pellicle. But so many people have somehow feel that, oh, I can just grow one from the liquid. And that's all I need. And this is just garbage or waste or something to get rid of. And while certainly you don't want to keep every single one because you're... <laughs> your kitchen countertops will be crowded. Um, it does have that benefit of serving as the immune system and literally a physical barrier to prevent contaminants from getting in there. Now with your extra SCOEs, yes, we can eat them. Yes, we can give them to others to eat, but we can also grind them up and put them in the garden, in the compost, your acid loving plants, your citrus plants, your roses, they're all really going to benefit from uh, that little bit of extra culture into the soil. So you would bury that. You wouldn't want to leave it on the surface or you'll attract fruit flies. So um, just dig a little hole, pour some of it in there and let it work its magic with your plants. Um, we're also seeing this is another innovation with the with it is it's a pure form of cellulose. And so from mm. leather creating biodegradable leather products, of course, you still need to tan it in some way because it is hydrophilic, meaning it loves to absorb water. But we see a lot of people doing that there recently there's someone who's making wood scoby shoes. SCOBY shoes if they can tan it properly, but wood. So making guitars <laughs> out of SCOBY that's SCOBY been guitar. 
Yeah, pressed into wood because the cellulose is so pure. So instead of going into the rainforest and cutting down beautiful heartwoods, you could create wood out of scope. Can we make a scoby floor? Eventually. (laughs) Paper. (laughs) There's even a company making rolling papers out of scoby. Oh, my gosh. Yes. A scoby doobie? Exactly. (laughs) Scoby dooby doo. You got it. (laughs) Yes. So we're tip of the iceberg. We're going to see a lot of applications for this develop over time, but universities are researching it. There's a ton of of papers on it. And so this is is anyone using your book as a textbook at Scoby University? Well, as soon as we set one up, they certainly will be. Oh, the other thing we see kombucha and Scoby is skincare. So kombucha also creates hyaluronic acid. Now, again, all these acids aren't necessarily in massive doses, but they're in that living form your body's evolved to instantly uptake and utilize. And so every once in a while, I'll just plop a scoby on my face. No, it doesn't suck out your brain. Little holes so you can breathe. (laughs) No. Oh, maybe it does suck out your brains. No, just (laughs) um, (laughs) replace it with kombucha. Uh, No, not even, but I, you know, it might drip a little in the eyes and that's a little stingy, but again, it's not the same level of acidity as like a chemical acid pill you might put on your face. And here's Mm. what it does. Pull circulation to the surface of the skin. That's going to naturally regenerate by oxygenating and bringing nutrients to the surface. The acid gently breaks any dead skin bonds. And so it naturally sloughs away the dead skin. And then it just helps with that collagen production because you're bringing more of that energy to the surface of your skin and it leaves it super soft. And so folks who have eczema or rashes or, you know, any kind of rough scaly patches can really benefit from kombucha. I also put it in my bath. I also put kefir in my bath, just like Cleopatra did. Whoa. I'm going to try that. That's such a great idea. I never thought about it. Yeah, it's really great for your skin. And it's so, you know, your skin is your largest organ, of course. So you're absorbing those nutrients, but through your skin and it leaves it so soft. So you have a bath scoby partner thing. (laughs) You want to keep it in a separate jar and you don't want to ferment your face scoby. But yes, (laughs) you've got like little scoby pets in every room of the house. Scoby, it's bath time. (laughs) It's one of my dreams that someday we'll create a spa and one of the treatments we'll be getting into. Yes. A scoby spa. Yeah, I love it. It's such a good idea. Well, unfortunately, ladies, it's the time that I hate, which is that I have to wrap us up. So Hannah, we would love to have people support you and your business. What is the best way that they can do that? Absolutely. Check out Kombucha Camp, campwithak.com. We're on all the socials. Our website has tons of uh, products for you. And I also do phone calls. So if you need some support, just give us a call. Let us know you're trying to place an order. I'd be happy to call you back and help you find what's right for you. As a small family business, we're still able to do that. And so, um, yeah, we'd love to support your fermentation journey wherever you're at in it. Thanks, Perfect. Hannah. Well, thank you, Hannah. It was so good to catch up with you and hear yeah. about all the great kombucha things happening in the world. Thanks for coming back on the show. It was nice to chat with you. Thanks for the giggles. Thank you, Sarah and Sarah. We record Masoni and Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Spotify. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can send us a DM on our Instagram, Masoni and Marshall, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye. Bye for now.
You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.